Well, good evening. It's good for us to be here. It's good for us to be together. And I'm glad to have the opportunity to stand before you and study God's Word with you. Tonight is a continuation of a lesson that uh, I began uh, a couple few weeks back. And uh, we're going to go back to that lesson and finish it this evening. God calls and God justifies sinners through Jesus. Through his son, the only begotten son that is named Emmanuel because God longs to have a relationship with you. Not just any relationship, but a relationship with the one creature whom he has made in his own image. And so through God's lamb, through God's savior, you and I become sons and daughters of the Almighty. So, how well do we appreciate, how well do we reflect the magnitude of this father-child relationship that we have with God? That's really kind of the goal of this lesson. For us just to kind of look at some things in Scripture and to meditate on the beauty of this and to challenge us to appreciate even more so the truth about what we have in Jesus Christ. As a little bit of review, in the beginning, we briefly touched on the idea how God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And we noted how God is truly a loving creator who treasures the relationship with you and with me, with his image bearers. But man broke that relationship. Mankind broke that relationship. Adam and Eve broke that relationship. And so sin severed man, cut man off from God. And thus it is God's will, Jehovah's will, to restore what he has lost. And so God... In his great plan, his great scheme of redeeming lost souls, chose Israel, the nation Israel in the Old Testament, and established a covenant relationship with them. And we see that unfolding to us, particularly in the book of Exodus. In Leviticus chapter 26, though, as God, through Moses, is enumerating the law and that relationship He says this in the 26th chapter, verse 11 and verse 12. He says, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. God is seeking a way, and God sought a way to be able to walk with his covenant people. With the covenant nation Israel, with those children of his. Unfortunately, like Adam, the nation Israel marred, broke that relationship, severed that family bond with God because of their sin. And so generations later, God foretold that the familial restoration that he desired would ultimately extend one day beyond Israel's lineage. It would go outside of that physical relation, that physical nation. It would go beyond that 
geographical area, and particularly there in, in Hosea chapter 2, as we have already read, again, looking there in the, the 23rd verse, but he says, I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. And then a little bit later through another prophet named Jeremiah, we see that Jeremiah prophesied about a new people of God that would come in the future. And there's a number of things you can note in the book of Jeremiah that relates to this idea of a people of God and a new people of God that are going to be restored or have a relationship with him so he can walk with them. In the 24th chapter, it talks about refined hearts. And it is these refined hearts who are truly going to know God. They will know me, these hearts that have been refined. In the 30th chapter, he talks about how from among a restored people, there's going to come a ruler. And this particular ruler will approach Jehovah himself one day. And then in the 31st chapter, it talks about how there will be forgiven hearts, a people who are forgiven by God, and those hearts will have had the new covenant written on their hearts. So with that said, let us jump to really what our lesson tonight is going to focus on, and that is we are so blessed today because you and I can become and are sons and daughters of God. And we are sons and daughters of God, not of some great thing that we have done ourselves, but rather it is because of the mighty deeds, the mighty acts, the mighty works of our Father in heaven. And so to be made a son or to be made a daughter of God is something not to be taken for granted. But I think it's easy to do that occasionally. It is something that is not to be viewed lightly, but maybe there are moments in our life we do. Think about it through, through this thought. The fact that our creator, the one and true living God, the omnipotent one, the eternal one, the omniscient one, is seeking a way that he might be able to uniquely walk with you. God is seeking to find a way, and he's providing a way, that he can uniquely walk with you and me as his own child. He wants to share a closeness with us. He wants to share harmony. He wants a relationship to be harmonious with him. He wants to be one with us. As Jesus taught over in the Gospel of John about the oneness that existed between the Father and the Son. And God desires that with us as well. And so we today are blessed to become sons and daughters of God because of Jesus Christ. 
But let's go back and look at just a couple places in the Old Testament, you know, to illustrate this concept and to build on it. Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 17. 1 Chronicles 17, where God made a promise to King David. It is also recorded in 1 Samuel as well. And perhaps the more familiar text that you'll read when talking about this particular promise of the one is Samuel. That's probably the one that we mostly turn to. But it is also recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And because we infrequently turn to Chronicles, I chose that one tonight. So let's turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 17 and note here in the 11th verse as this chronicle is being shared with us again and God is speaking here to David and he says to David, who is the king at the time, when your days are fulfilled that you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up one of your descendants after you who will be of your sons and I will establish his kingdom. So I'm going to establish a kingdom his kingdom, and he's going to be one of your sons after you're dead and gone from the earth. He continues to say in verse 12, he, that is this son, that in whom he's going to establish this kingdom, he says, he shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. And note, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And I will not take my love and kindness away from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. Here is God promising David that there is going to be a descent of yours and I am going to have a father-son relationship with him. I'm going to have this very unique relationship, very intimate relationship with this particular son who is going to build for me a house. And a kingdom and a throne, and it's going to last forever. Now, we know that David initially understood this to apply to his son Solomon. And Solomon did build the temple according to God's design, as directed you know, through David. He did, did build the house for the Lord in Jerusalem, and God presented himself in his glory in, in those early days. But King Solomon is simply a foreshadowing of the greater son. King Solomon is simply a foreshadowing of a son building a greater house where God would truly dwell one day into eternal glory. Now turn to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 37, this prophet of God foretold that God's people one day will be shepherded by one Servant king. So God's people in the future, if you recall, Ezekiel is a Hebrew living in captivity in the land of Babylon because the nation of Judah committed abominations and cut themselves off from God. And God in his justice required himself to discipline his children. 
to refine them and to seek to restore them. So here is his prophet Ezekiel bringing God's message to his fellow captives in the land of Babylon. And in the 37th chapter, kind of beginning in the middle of verse 23, God says, I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. And they will be my people and I will be their God. There is that repeated statement that is frequently found throughout the Old Testament. That God desires a people where they will be his, truly his people and he would truly be their God. And he goes on to say now in verse 24, my servant David, now remember this is captivity. This is hundreds of years post King David. David, King David's dead. And King David has not been resurrected and still has not yet been resurrected. And we know that by Acts 2. So King David is dead, and yet Ezekiel is saying, my servant David, so there's another kind of David that's going to come. He will be king over them. So you've got this new David. He's going to be king over this people who are truly God's people. And he says, and they will have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. So under this new David, under this new shepherd, God's people are going to walk according to God's ordinances, and they're going to keep and observe such. Verse 25, they will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant, a covenant peace with them. And it will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I'll place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And the nation will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel When my sanctuary is in their midst. So here's this relationship again that God is trying to restore what he lost with man. A relationship where he can be a father-son. He can have that father-son relationship. He can have a father-child relationship with people who truly know him. With people who abide under that covenant peace, people who walk according to the ordinances of God. And when that happens, as a result, he says, I will establish my sanctuary among them. I will set up my house among them. And he says, and I will reside. I will dwell there. I will reside there. I will, I will live there, which implies also I will walk there with them. Now, man's sins causes enmity. Man's sins, our sins, causes separation. And so this separation of the image bearer God from the creator has to be remedied before reconciliation and before justification, before sanctification can truly take place. And that's where God's great plan to raise up this son who's going to be a shepherd, who is going to give a covenant of peace 
and bring about spiritual restoration. In Ephesians 2, as we've been studying on Sunday morning, talks about, particularly there in those last few verses, 19 through 22, talks about the idea of those in Christ growing up into a temple of God. And he talks about Jews and Gentiles who have come together in one, making peace through their prince of peace. And here they are, one people now in Christ, and they are growing into a temple, a holy place for what reason? So God can dwell in them. Jehovah is the creator. And Jehovah is the redeemer. And Jehovah is the savior of his people. Isaiah, like so many of the prophets do, addressed the same topic over in the 43rd chapter of Isaiah. You'll turn very quickly over there in in chapter 43 in verse 1. It says, Now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Now Isaiah lived before... Jude and Jerusalem were carried off into captivity. So Isaiah lived and prophesied before the days of Ezekiel. When Ezekiel talks about God going to bring about a a restoration through a shepherd king. And then under that shepherd king, there's going to be a covenant of peace. And then I will set up my sanctuary in their midst. He makes that promise at a time when the temple of Jerusalem has has already been destroyed. Isaiah speaks about this relationship actually prior to Ezekiel's days. And so he makes the point, okay, Jehovah, he's your creator, Jacob. Jehovah, he is your creator, O Israel. He's the one who made you. He's the one who formed you. Drop down to verse 5. And so he continues to say, do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and I will gather you from the the west, and I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who's called my name, and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. So before God judges Judah and Jerusalem, and before Ezekiel ever prophesies about the things he has to say about the restoration of this lost relationship that God desires, Isaiah said the day will come when God will call sons and daughters from distant lands, from faraway places. I'm going to call my sons and I'm going to call my daughters to myself. Why? Because they are called by my name. I will call those who are called by my name. I will call those whom I have created for my glory, for those that I have made. Do names have familial connections? Do names have familial significance? Of course they do. And God says the day's going to come that I'm going to, yes, I'm going to call sons and daughters from distant lands. And he's saying this in Jerusalem with the people of God right there. 
And those people will drift farther away and God will discipline them to try to refine hearts and restore souls back to him. But he said, through Isaiah, the day will come. I will call children from faraway places because those children from those distant lands are called by my name. And they are formed and created for my glory. God joining himself through his redeemed people in Christ Jesus, that's the sanctuary wherein he walks now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, there is exhortation being given there, called upon the saints of God in Christ to not be bound together with the things of the world that would sever that relationship. That would create a great divide between those who have called upon the name of the Lord with God. And so it talks about the contrast between righteousness and lawlessness and light and darkness and how those things are not in agreement with one another but picking up there in verse 16 he says what agreement has the temple of god with idols for we are the temple of the living god remember he said i'm going to raise up a shepherd king he's going to be a servant And he's going to establish this everlasting covenant of peace. And when this occurs, I am going to establish, I'm going to set up my sanctuary in their midst. In their very midst, I'm going to build my temple, my dwelling place among them. Why would he do that? Because he wants to be with you. And he wants to be with me. He wants to be able to walk with you. And he wants you to be able to walk with him. He wants to be able to call you his son and to call you his daughter. And so through Jesus Christ, the very means of our reconciliation and justification and salvation through Christ, the only begotten son who is deity himself, God redeems us, God calls us, God cleanses us. So that he can set up a sanctuary among us and walk with us. From before time itself, from before the very beginning of creation, God wanted to be tabernacled with you as his people. And the, the intimacy of this union, the intimacy of this relationship between God and the children demands that we abstain from all kinds of uncleanness. Continue our reading here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Does that sound familiar? Yes, of course it does. Because God has been promising that all along. God has been working to make that possible. That truly there will finally be a people that he can say, these are my people. These are my children. And I'm at home with them. And they are with me. Goes on to say, therefore, because of that relationship... 
because of God dwelling with us and God walking with us, because we are now God's people because of Christ and in Christ and through Christ. Therefore, verse 17, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. From distant lands, God calls his sons and daughters. And he welcomes them. But when we come into that relationship, we have the responsibility. We have the, uh, the obligation. You know, we are indebted to do all that we can to not touch what is unclean. To not defile or corrupt what God has made possible for us. That now we can walk with God in holiness because of Jesus Christ. God the Father wants to walk with you, son. God the Father wants to walk with you, daughter. And you, son, and you, daughter. He longs for that. The Father's love is what makes this possible. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, a man of love that the Father has bestowed upon us, that we are called his children. And notice the next verse, next phrase. The apostle pens. And such we are. Behold, the magnitude of that love that God, the Father, has called us from distant lands and he has provided the means that we can be cleansed and be welcomed into that fellowship and into that close relationship with him. And it's because he loves us that much. John 3.16. That's how much he loves us. And over in Ephesians 5.1, it talks about imitate God as beloved children. Why? Because that's what you are. You are beloved of God. But you're beloved of God because he is now your father. This precious relationship of a father-child, a father-son, a father-daughter relationship with the Almighty is to be cherished by us. It is to be nourished by us. And that's why, you know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to our, our ancient brethren in Corinth, and reminding them that they, like us, are the temple of the living God, and that God is dwelling in them and among them. He is their God, and, and, and they are his people just as we are. And we are to come out from the midst of those things that are unclean so that we are welcome. And then verse 18, and he says, and I will be. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 
What a beautiful, beautiful truth that is. One that we need to treasure. And perhaps one that we don't think long and hard about every day. When you petition God, how do you petition him? If you petition him as your Lord and Savior teaches you to petition him, you petition him as Father, do you not? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, you have Jesus teaching how to pray. And one of the things he teaches is how should we address God? How should I address this creator you know, who is far above me? I am mere dust. I am mere clay that has been shaped by the hands of the creator. Who am I to address the God Almighty, the creator of my life and my very soul? How should I address him? And Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So when you pray, God, my Father, mean it. The word Father is not to be an empty title that we have become habitually, you know, saying all our life that we hardly even think about that when we say, God, my Father, and we go on to make our predictions. We just say it. Say it. And I'm not saying you, do, you, you say that nonchalantly, but I think it is something that we need to, for a few seconds when we say that, to mean that. And I want you to notice that when Jesus says that in, in verse 9, notice he said, when you pray, pray him, our Father. Who's included in that statement? Jesus. The father of Jesus, in the sense of the relationship of roles there, we know he is equal in deity with God the Father, God the Son is. But he says, when you pray, he's saying, it's our father. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God with Jesus because of Jesus. And so you think about that. Jesus' own son-father relationship is a foreshadowing. It is a foreshadowing of the kind of relationship that we should be cultivating with God. The kind of relationship that we, you know, in the sense we should be deepening in, as we mature in the faith. That we understand that we have come into a familial bond with our creator because of Jesus Christ and because of the love of, of God. And now we are truly a son or daughter of God. And he is among us and he is walking with us. And so I need to understand that. And I need to communicate that as well. That's why over in Romans 8, verse 15, talking about the spirit of adoption that we receive, that we are able to cry out to him as Abba, Father. Now, Abba is not the term that we use frequently in our modern English. 
But it is a term that is to emphasize the closeness, the intimacy that you have, the oneness of that bond with God. Because he's welcomed you through the blood of Jesus. In conclusion, birth and adoption are deeply meaningful concepts for parent and child, for both individuals in that relationship. To be born or to be adopted in a family relationship has deep meaning to everyone. It's significant. It's special. It's profound. By birth, we come into this world physically. And it is by birth that you and I become new creatures in Christ. In John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, we'll just look at that one, that one passage. But all these verses emphasize the idea of there is a birth that takes place before that new beginning Results in the relationship where now we are a son or daughter of God. And that God now is my father. And Jesus Christ, the son of God, is now my brother. In chapter 1 he says, as many as received him, speaking of Christ, as many as received Christ, to them... To them, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that beautiful? As many as has received him. Have you received him? Have you received Christ? Made him your king? Made him your Lord? Made him your Savior? Have you received him? Because as many who have... They have received the right to become God's children, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, and nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're born into this relationship that we have with our Father in heaven. But it's a birth of God's will. It's a birth of God's word. And in that, included in in that, is a birth of water and and spirit, as talked about in John chapter 3. But not only are we born, but also we are adopted. Both of these things take place. We experience a birth, and therefore we become a child in that family, and we are adopted as well at the same time. Why? Because God chooses you. That's why. God has chosen you. God wants you. Think about that. Our creator, as he looks throughout time on humanity, he looks down upon his image bearers, and what does he see? He sees the sad state, the the sad condition of humanity. That they are sheep without a shepherd. He sees the great needs of all of us. We are children 
lost in this world without parents. And God says, I will come down and I will take you to be my own. How did he do that? Emmanuel. That's how. Through Emmanuel, God intervened. God stepped forward to rescue us and to love us when no one else loved us in the way we needed to be loved. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. Don't take that lightly. And when you talk to your father tonight, take a moment, take those split seconds, and think about that word when you say, Dear God, my Father. And what he had to do to adopt you, to welcome you, to cause you to be born again of his will, not the will of men or the ways of the world. In conclusion, God in the book of Malachi, in speaking to the priest of the remnant time period, said, A son honors his father. Ideally, a son honors his father. But he then went on to ask, These are children of God. These are the people of God in the days of the prophet Malachi. He said to them, If I am a father, where is my honor? Do we honor him as we should? Are we honoring him as we ought? Only you and your father can answer that question. I can't. We all have to answer that for ourselves. But think about that. God the Father is your Father if you've received Christ into your life and made him your king. Are you honoring your Father in heaven? If you're not a child of God because you've not received Christ, you've not by faith submitted to Christ, God longs to welcome you into his arms. That's what he wants most of all. To be able to say to you, you're my daughter, you're my son. Won't you come? Will you come tonight confessing faith, repenting of sin, and willingly submitting your life in obedience and baptism? And God will raise you up and welcome you home into his arms. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we invite you. Please come now. We stand and sing the song that's been selected.